Welcome to Being Honest with My Ex. My ex is Peter C. Haywood. My ex is SJ, better known as Honor Eastley. We were engaged for two years and, and then, then we, we broke, broke up. up and then we stopped talking to each other for a year and now we do a podcast together. Would you have a baby with me? If I can get you to cry next podcast, we'll have a hat trick. <laughs> you don't know this, but I have a very vivid image of what your penis looks like. What? <laughs> if I met you now, I do not think that I would go out with you. Oh my God. I think if I met you now, I'd, I'd fall more in love with you than I did the first time. How are you? I'm good. I just had a nap. It was delightful. It was, a, it was not really a stress nap so much as a like incredibly busy nap. You're super weird because you have naps when you're stressed. I just don't... I just can't do that. When you're stressed, your whole body's like, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. I've been like, work stuff has been like pulling fucking teeth at the moment. Because we, we've we've been talking so much less lately than we, we did like before the hiatus. Pre-hiatus. I have very little idea of what like, like what your day-to-day life is like. What's my day-to-day life like? Oh yeah, that's a great question. Okay, so let me just look at my calendar. <laughs> Do you want to know what's been happening? <laughs> the fact that you opened your calendar and started laughing is, a, is an interesting sign. The previous weekend, I was up in Sydney doing a, a podcasting conference and uh, with Megan Tan from Millennial. She was really cool. Ooh, you're fancy. <laughs> I love her show. Yeah. Oh, her show is really great. She's actually very amazing. Is she better than her show? Uh, I think it's just different meeting her in person. Do you reckon ever people, like, meet us and, like, assess us versus how we appear on the show? Sure. Yeah. Sure. I mean, it's a bit more direct, right? What? I mean, like, Megan... Okay, so Millennial is is much more crafted. There's much more work that goes into the presentation <laughs> and the characters and all that kind of stuff. Megan talks about how she has Millennial Megan. Like, Millennial Megan is a character. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's very common. There's a podcast review show called Always Listening. Yeah. And they have talked about the fact that, like, over time they, they fall into a character and it's very hard to... I mean, people think I'm a character on the show. And I think I think when we started, I was a little bit more... I was Not even that. I was just a little bit more um, on edge. And when you're on edge, mm. you tend to be a little bit heightened. Like, nowadays, I'm mm. much more relaxed around you. Uh, basically, ever since the episode where I showed you my penis, I've been like, yeah, that's all good. There was an episode where you showed me your penis? Actually, yeah, there is. <laughs> there is. That's a thing that happened. When we first started, we'd just gotten back in contact, so we were both like quite on edge. And I, I think I was particularly trying to prove myself and trying to be like, here's I'm on I'm on this show and I'm I'm being controversial. Oh. And so it's a combination of like me just calming down a little bit and the fact that this show has made me into a much less controversial person. You think so? I think I think I've tempered from doing this and like seeing people's reactions and you're softer around the edges I'm, I'm a little bit more sj like than i was when this show started yeah 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 so i don't know i mean my life lately has felt like it's just been one thing after another so i went to a conference and then i interviewed megan tan which i found quite stressful and then is that for starving artist yeah for season two and then i did a creative retreat with Etsy on the weekend. And Ew. then last night I had a workshop for Emerging Writers Festival. Oh, yesterday I had a really big important meeting about 
stuff. Your life is like the opposite of mine. <laughs> Why? What's yours? Because we're both very busy, but I don't, I don't leave the house. Like, mm. I wake up and I just work all day and then I hang out with Roxy, hopefully for a little bit, and then I go to sleep. But I don't actually go anywhere. Like, it's all just my, my entire life exists inside this computer. Whereas you are like, you're, you're flying between cities. I mean, I did just go to a con. Yeah, shut up. I went to the con that I wasn't allowed in the country last year. Yeah, that's you remember right. I got, I got turned back. Yeah, I went to that con last week. But like that is that is once every few months at most. The rest of the time, I'm just head down getting stuff done. Well, I've gotten, I've been asked to do a lot more work since starving artists. Paid work? Yes, but it's all different stuff. Particularly, I didn't realize how much this whole like art money topic people would be like, hey, we want you to... So what's happened is I launched this big project and then I've gotten heaps more offers to do work. And this is paid work, yeah? Yeah, it's paid. It changes in terms of how sustainable it is, if that makes sense. But a lot of it is stuff that's very new to me. One thing I've really realized in terms of charging money for my time and doing stuff is that part of the reason I need to is that no matter what I'm doing, I will freak out out about it does that make sense yeah like you still freak out about doing this podcast yeah i mean (laughs) almost not at all (laughs) compared to the other things particularly because i'm doing new stuff when we came back from hiatus you were properly freaking out about doing this like it took it took an hour of, of calming you down before you could record yeah yeah that's true that's true that's true when people are like hey can you do this thing it will only take an hour of your time I'm like, well, actually, you're not counting, like, all of the time I'm going to spend freaking out about doing that thing. I've been thinking about this lately because I think I'm like, so maybe as I go on and do more things, I'll freak out less. But here's my current theory. If I do that, if I think if I'm doing stuff where I'm not freaking out, the end result will be less good. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, the line of thinking makes sense. I don't necessarily agree with the conclusion. Well, I say this because I notice that when I've done interviews, right, where I'm not really anxious, the interview ends up not being as good. And by interviews, I mean people calling me and interviewing me. And when I've done like events and workshops and stuff where I'm not nervous, they end up being not as good, which isn't to say that I should freak out or that's good. It's just to say that if I'm nervous about something, I tend to, you know, it means I care. And that means that that energy is like nervous energy. Does that make sense? Yeah. Rather than it being like freak out anxiety, it's nervous energy that's actually can be made into something good. Another way of looking at the same idea is you you once told me about Ben Folds or Amanda Palmer told me about Ben Folds. I always get you two confused. Me and Ben Folds or me and Amanda Palmer? You and Amanda Palmer. Oh, right. Okay. Sure. Ben Folds made an album and he really pushed himself and stretched himself. It was a huge hit. And so for the next album, they're like, let's do that again. They did that again. And it was like, yeah. And it's not necessarily that the freaking out is what makes it good. It's that you, like, like you said, you care about it, which is what makes you freak out. So when you're pushing yourself and stretching yourself, that's when you make your best stuff. Yeah. And for you, pushing yourself and stretching yourself inherently involves freaking out. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So if I'm freaking out a bit, it's not necessarily a bad sign. It's usually a sign I'm doing something that is new or that I care about. And often it means that I end up doing better work. I went to a talk the other day and I saw someone do their talk and they seemed so like they knew everything. You're like, I don't know, you've seen speakers that are really good speakers, right? And But they're very, very, I don't want to say rote, but like you're like, they've told that joke hundreds of times. 
they know exactly how to blah 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 and you feel confident in them but like there's not a spark there in the same way does that make sense yeah absolutely i've told you about this i don't know if i've ever talked about it on the podcast i can't do theater yeah you can't do the same thing over and over again because once i get it right I just check out like I, I did a play once we did three nights I mean I've done many plays and I've found this over and over again and finally this is the play where I learned it we did three nights first right everything went wrong second night everything went right and I was like oh man yes I nailed that line like that scene we all worked really well together I got all the jokes I got it all right and the third night was by far the worst of the three because once I've gotten a thing I can't recreate it I did a series of 17 consecutive shows of the, of the one play once and is this, this oh what was that one i was Peter going and paisley yeah yeah that oh, there's man. a whole episode sometime we'll talk about that but there were jokes that didn't didn't click until halfway through and then they kind of peaked and went away there was jokes that if i got them on the first night by the end they were the worst part of the show once i've gotten a joke right i cannot get it again that's part of why i like film because once you get it right you've got it like done you know it's been recorded for posterity you don't have to do it again and it's a big reason that i like improv because with improv there's no such thing as doing the same joke twice like that just doesn't exist last year i went and saw um ira glass did a show called three acts two dancers one radio host (laughs) and he came out to australia with it and the bit that i remember the most is there was this bit where they had the two dancers on stage and they were doing this dance on on loop, right? So there was like a two-minute dance routine and they, they kept doing it repeatedly. And Ira Glass was like, these women right now are performing their dream job. And they were ta- he goes on to talk about all their training that's gone into this moment. And then he talks about the fact that this is a dream job, right? And literally they go on stage and perform the exact same movements every night. And it's just kind of funny when you think about it like that, particularly when you think about creative careers like that, because often you only see one part of it and you think, fuck, yeah, I want to do that. Like at that time when I saw that show, I had ah, in the previous few years, because I, I really wanted to like play music, particularly when I was young but also even when we were dating, right? Yeah. And then I got to a point where I was like, actually, I think I would not like that. <laughs> I think because some friends on Facebook started becoming really successful in bands and then like <laughs> talking about what it was like to like play the same songs over and over and over all around the world. And <laughs> I was like, oh man, I don't think I would like that at all. Yeah. That's what I like about like Gautier. How do you pronounce the name? Gautier. Gautier? No, I don't know. I'm going to get it wrong. Gautier? Gautier. He doesn't do live shows. Like, he writes a song and he performs it and he gets it right and then it's kind of, he's done with it, he moves on. Uh, I think he just doesn't do shows that often. But right, different... but then you look at, like, so there's two types of people. And this is one of those classic, there's two types of people examples, which I know you love, putting people in boxes. I love it, particularly when there's two boxes. That's That works really well for my brain. There are two extremes in, in the spectrum. Sure. One is me where, like, once I've gotten a thing, I can't do it again, like... If, if I'm doing a performance and I get that performance right, the next time I try to do it, I can't hit those same beats again. I like, I have tried. I have tried desperately to like recapture that magic, but I can't. For me, getting the thing right is a once and done. Like, that's it. Mm-hmm. And then there's people like Adam Hills for me is a really good example. I went and saw his talk show, Adam Hills on Gordon Street Tonight, whatever it's called, Gordon yeah, Street yeah, Live. Yeah. And I saw him like bantering with the audience 
and pulling out jokes that I've seen him in doing like five different stand-up sets as if they were a spontaneous at the time thing and just like nailing the delivery and like obviously that's where he's comfortable like he has written this joke and he knows exactly how to deliver it and he must have told it hundreds and hundreds of times and that's where he's most comfortable or like I have an actor friend who she loves 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 getting into a role and then doing that thing night after night in the play like the mousetrap's been running for however many years 100 plus years now uh, no, not, not quite 100 plus. It's like 60, 70 years. And there are actors who have done that job for 30 years straight. What's The Mousetrap? The Mousetrap is the longest running play in the world. It's by Agatha Christie, the famous oh, crime novelist. Yeah. Yeah. It's in a little, little tiny theater in England. I went there with my sister when I was in England. There's like a Parapliol episode or an Invisibilia episode about this play. There's, well, yeah, there's it's, some it's podcast episode about it, yeah. Like the, lo- the, the second longest running play in the world is like eight years or five years or 12 years or something. And this one is like 70 years. That's ridiculous. But it's interesting because the contract that the theater had with the play was like, Agatha Christie wrote this. This was her only play. Everything else that she wrote was an adaptation, a play adapted from one of her books or was a book. Okay. And she wrote this one just purely as a play. And the contract was like, this can't be turned into a film until it stopped running for six months. Okay. Which means it will never be a film. Like this play will run for the rest of time. <laughs> Once you hit the 70 years longest running play, like, it's like The Simpsons. The Simpsons will go on for a very long time. You can't stop. Except unlike The Simpsons, this doesn't cost millions of dollars. It's just a play in a single theatre yeah. with, 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 like, a four-person or a five-person cast or something like that. Like, it is very inexpensive to run. And tickets go for 50, 80, 100 bucks a pop, whatever they are. Like, there are people who have done that role for an entire lifetime. And they just really, like, that. that's their groove. And so, like, yeah, the two extremes are, you know... Me on one end where I can't do the same thing twice and people on that end where, like, that's what they want. They want their job to be four nights a week. They get up and deliver the exact same lines in the exact same way for an entire lifetime. Yeah, I don't think I'm that guy. Right, and, and so I remember when we were dating and, and I was like, look, if you want to be a musician, and I was, I was very good at the, at the pompous know-it-all advice for things I didn't really know much about. <laughs> yeah, no, you really no. did that very well. Now listen like to me, little lady. You've changed. You've changed about that. Yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've, shit's complicated. Like, I, I used to be like, here is the way you do things. Here's the correct answer to stuff. And now I'm, I'm so fucking wishy washy about everything that when someone's like, oh, really? I wonder where you got that from. Uh, from the internet. From, uh, <laughs> from porn.com. That's where I got that from. <laughs> so now when someone's like, of course we should punch Nazis. Uh, you know, if we're going to punch anyone, I'm like, Nazis. I'm like, well, I don't think we should punch anyone. And like, I don't agree <laughs> with Nazism, obviously, but it's... Oh, you've frozen up. So I can't, I can't see how you're reacting to this bit that I'm nervous about talking about. <laughs> uh, maybe let's talk about Nazis, please. Although I have been reading John Safran's new books. Depends what you mean by extremist. Right, like that, that sounds like my new worldview. <laughs> it's a really interesting... It's, it's really interesting. And he kind of gets fascinated with the Australian patriotic movement and the anti-Islam movement and kind of goes in trying to work out who these people are and where are they coming from and what is this all about. And it's really kind of like super... It's just not what you would expect, basically. Yeah. Here's a a non-Nazi example for you. When someone's like, you know, what is the right or wrong way to do this? I'm like, it always depends on your goals. Like, always, 100% of the time. And that's such a non-answer. Like, people are like, hey, advise me on this. I'm like, "Eh, everything's correct in a sense, or everything's incorrect in a sense. Like, it depends on what you're trying to do. Like, what are you trying to do here? 
I can't answer without that information. You sound so much more like me. It's true. Than you used to. It's funny because the previous Peter quality is something that I used to really like. It makes the world a lot easier. As in, like, Peter had all the answers. Yeah, that's it. And, and when, when, you, when you know stuff, and I used to know stuff, and now I'm like, no one knows anything. Uh, William Goldman quote. When, when you know stuff, the world is so much easier. Like, if life is black and white, then it's easy to live. That, that's the thing with, like, Christians or Christianity generally. You know, the question of, like, how is the correct way to live if you're a Christian, is like, do this one thing, this is the correct one thing to do, and everything else doesn't matter. Like, mm. that's such a mental load off. Because, you know, the, the Christian point of view, for a lot of Christians, I'm not saying all Christians, but see how wishy-washy I am? I'm like, here's, here's 15 disclaimers. Okay, now, now I get to my point. <laughs> it, like, like the, the, the fundamentalist or evangelical Christian point of view especially is, accept Jesus into your heart, Bam! That is the only choice you need to make in your entire life to be living correctly. Oh, yeah, 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 like, yeah, yeah. Like, accept Jesus as a saviour, done. Like, heaven. You know, if life is a pass-fail quiz, that is the only question, and we'll tell you the answer ahead of time. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've been reading a lot of, well... Maybe not a lot. I've been reading a bit of Buddhist philosophy kind of stuff. And one thing that I've really connected with is like this idea of groundlessness, which is that the world is unexpected and chaotic. Your best friend could die at any moment. Like, you know, obviously there are different places which are that's more or less likely to happen. And you know all of this. And then you've got to like sit with this fact that everything's in flux there isn't right answers you don't know if you're doing the right thing or if there's anything meaningful to to life you know like all these really big difficult questions that don't have a right answer that that's really uncomfortable to sit with to acknowledge and sit with that fear is really difficult and that's why people the like, nebulousness of it all yeah that's why people want to escape with different ways everyone does that in different ways some people do it by working really hard i had this moment even just two days ago where I'd done this talk and afterwards I felt really funny about it and I felt like, what the fuck am I even doing this for? Is this actually, am I just lying to myself in this whole thing and this is actually just some big ego trip, you know, to make myself feel important and like my life is meaningful? And <laughs> I was like, oh, that's uncomfortable. <laughs> and, and that possibility is like, Wah. and so... You know, maybe I'm just trying to escape the meaninglessness or those big difficult questions by working really hard, working so much that I can't even look at those questions. Does that make sense? Like, I don't have time to look at those questions. Like, we just kind of try and get away from, I don't know, I think a lot of people try and get away from, the, myself included, try and get away from those questions through different ways. For me, it's definitely through, like, working heaps. Um, but then some other people, like want to drink alcohol or at the moment I notice that I'm getting really obsessed with Korean skincare routines for some reason that's like my that's like my happy place you should start a twitter feed that is just whatever your current obsession is because that would be a fascinating read not necessarily at the time in real time but looking back and being like oh, Bo yeah. Burnham Korean skincare <laughs> I've made a breakthrough last night in terms of my Korean skincare obsession, which is because I've been looking up all these products. This is so silly. I've been looking up all these products that I have no idea if any of them work. And part of this is motivated by the fact that 
about nine months ago, I changed contraception. And then since then, my skin has been really weird. Anyway, and then I just fell into some thread on the internet about skincare. And I was like, whoa, this is a new world. (laughs) And what I've realized recently is because I've been looking at all these products being like, but you could buy all of these and have no idea if any of them's going to work. You can buy samples of all of them. Oh, my God. <laughs> and there's a big market of them on eBay. You can be like, <laughs> I would like the Cosirex AHA Power Serum Liquid. Yeah, that's an actual thing. <laughs> anyway, all of that is some sort of kind of escapism. I think of it as being like just like a little break for my brain. But we like we all go through different sort of methods to kind of escape these big scary questions i'm currently a a full-time game designer developer like that is my job that is what i make probably the majority of my income at the moment i still have residuals from writing but really like game design is is my jam at the moment i've totally shifted my mountain it was it was an awkward thing that i was like fuck it like if i'm gonna run a business i gotta run a business uh and yeah i was gonna say what's going on with your mountain uh so brief update because i i we could talk about this for hours. Uh, I am trying to turn Jelly Bean Games into a thing that will get me into... I, w- I want to turn it into a business so that when I start sitcom writing, I have a functioning business that I can just plug the sitcoms into and not have to like start again in a new field kind of thing. What do you mean plug the sitcoms into? So my business partner, Nicole, and I are trying to turn vi- Jelly Bean Games into a viable business. And I'm cutting my teeth on... Like, ultimately, I want to be a sitcom writer slash you know, TV film producer. Like That's the area that I sure. want to be. And... I'm learning how to business on this business that I have no real emotional attachment. Like, I liked game design and I enjoy doing it. But, you know, if this all exploded tomorrow, I'd be like, well, I learned a lot of lessons. I wouldn't be like, my career, my reputation. Mm. And so I am learning how to business through this with the intent of in like two to five years transitioning it into a sitcom business. By which point I will have a staff and like oh a presence and yeah yeah so i've 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 rerouted the path to the mountain okay because i was like oh god i'm marching so far in this direction let's let's find a town on the way that i can stop and and yeah no there's a plan um it made me think of um you know tim urban right yeah from wait but why i do like he has a very successful tutoring business oh yeah yeah he still does that doesn't he (laughs) yeah so he People know him as the guy from Wait But Why. Best blog on the internet. But he has a really successful tutoring business. And, you know, Tim Ferriss always talks about having... He talks about as having a muse. So your muse is like your business that makes you money on the side that you set up and then is more passive, blah, blah, blah. So you can do whatever else you want outside of that. Yeah, so I have been doing every part of business that you can do wrong, wrong. With the exception of making money. I've been reliably making money, and then everything else that you can do wrong, I've been doing wrong. Like what? Like, we talked about this briefly already, uh, working out how much stuff costs before setting prices for it. Sure. Knowing how taxes work, keeping your books. These sound like good things to know. Yeah, all, all the stuff that you should learn about at starvingartistpodcast.com <laughs> that I did not. You know what's interesting is, I don't know if I ever passed on this information to you, I just figured, I, maybe I just figured you already had it. But a few years ago, I remember talking to Tom McLean, who's our friend who made like... He had a YouTube career for a while, yeah. Yeah, and he made like $360,000 on Kickstarter to make a card game, Story War, which is a really fun game. And um, I remember asking him, I think at the time, oh God, I think this might have been around the time I was like, I want to do a Kickstarter to, I don't know, 
I think I was just like wanting to make some sort of sock business or something. We've talked about your desire to make a sock business in the past. Yeah, that's right. Oh my God. Actually, I literally just yesterday walked past a bunch of posters for that exact business, but made by someone else and looked at it and was like, God damn it. I'm so glad I'm not doing that. (laughs) (laughs) It was like a monthly sock subscription thing. You know, I have a sock subscription. Do you? Yeah, I love it. They, they send me cool socks every month. I've gotten sushi socks, pizza socks. There you go. See, there's a market. I'm just glad that I didn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember talking to Tom when I was, I think, thinking about that idea. And I remember him saying, like, if I was to do it again, the one piece of advice I would give is do some sort of business course before you start a business. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, Yeah, that checks out. Did I ever pass that on to you? I don't think so. I don't think it would have helped either because I was like, I'm not really starting a business. I was definitely starting a business. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I've told you about this before, but I feel like I am moving from... Okay, so I think I had a long time of being like, creative careers just happened. They (laughs) they just happen. Also, this, this like narrative of people being discovered... And other people making your career for you. That's a story that gets told a lot culturally. Yeah. And which I saw a lot and read a lot about when I looked at people like Adele and Amy Winehouse and blah, blah, blah. Who else? Rah, rah, rah. It's a story that that is incredible in this way that then gets perpetuated by the media. And then everyone thinks that's how creative careers happen. Or at least you do if you're me. Anyway, I thought that that's what's going to happen. And then I changed a bunch in there somewhere and did like... Let's just try stuff. I went into the experimental phase. That's how stuff like this podcast happened. Yep. And a bunch of other weird shit. And now I think I'm moving into another phase, which is like less throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. More actually realizing how much work it takes to make anything happen and being like, ooh, I should be a bit more selective. It's interesting though, because the moment you start redoing stuff like that you've already made plans like six months a year in advance and then you have to follow through on them yep (laughs) and then you're like damn it (laughs) yeah i'm trying to wrap up commitments at the moment it's uh, it's really like that's most of what i'm spending my days doing is just trying to be like okay look i promise i'll do this thing so i'm gonna do it great it's done shut the door don't say yes to things anymore like what kind of stuff there's there's three game designs that i committed to and i'm like i don't i like my standards for games have substantially changed in the last six months or so because Kickstarter has exploded in this way. I'm talking specifically about the board game community, which I know is your favorite thing to talk about. Hey, I will talk about board games for approximately two and a half minutes. That's it. <laughs> Scuttle came in at a time when you could throw up a Kickstarter and it could make $90,000. If Scuttle launched now, it would make maybe like twenty thirty, which is still quite a lot of money, but it wouldn't be the mega hit that it was. Yeah. Uh, because a lot of people saw stories like Scuttle or stories like Story War and were like, oh, Kickstarter is a money machine. So where there used to be, you know, one or two campaigns every every two days, now there's like five campaigns a day. Exactly like podcasting was 10 years ago. Wait on, five campaigns per day? Probably. Like, I haven't actually done the math, but it, it, it's a, it's there's five times as many campaigns as there were. There's heaps. There's yeah. heaps. In the same way as back in the day, you could make a podcast and be like, yeah, sure. Like, you know, two guys talking, we're pretty funny. And nowadays, like, two guys talking being pretty funny, no one is going to give a shit. Unless you are the funniest people on the planet, not going to happen. Yeah, I talked about this in a workshop I did the other day. 
And also there's a, there's a, there's a... Tell the story. Don't tell the story of the story. No, I was just going to say there's an interview that people can read if they want to that's like more detailed. Yeah, this thing is that podcasting... Well, every platform goes through a life cycle, right? Absolutely. Okay, so in the in the beginning of platforms, often you need to be consistent and entertaining. That's like... And you can you can build an audience that way, and that's how you had the early like YouTubers and stuff like that. And then the life cycle of the platform changes, so that's not enough anymore because the market is saturated, and that's where you get like either celebrities who already have audiences or really niche stuff. So that's how you get like a channel that's just people in berets making cakes that have spiders on them. Like that's all the channel is, is just more of that. Is that a real thing? No, I oh, mean, maybe. So excited. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> I've always heard there's three ways to be a mega hit. Either be the first, be really different, or be the absolute best. Like those are the three sure. ways to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And so board games, I was like, Scuttle was, was the first. Like, it's not super different. It's not the absolute best. I really like it. It's a fun game. It's very popular. But it's not either of those. I just happen to like get in at the right time. This podcast, I think, is different. Like, we firmly fall into different and a little bit new. But like, since we launched this, and maybe they, maybe it's because of us, and maybe it's because it's just like a, a cool idea. There's been a bunch more like really confessional, honest conversations between people who used to date like even that specific there's there's more of that yeah and so in order to survive in order for jellybean games to survive i need to move out of being new to being the best and being different and ideally you combine those like if you're the best and really different if if this is something unlike anything else and it's incredibly amazing to play that's when you, that's when you can turn into a mega hit to be sustainable as a creative either running a company or just to be like if you want to do this for a living you've got to you've got to hit Ideally, one or two or sometimes three of those things. Yeah. I think the other thing also, also, there's a difference if you're starting and you already have an audience. So, like, in terms of Jelly Bean Games, you already have, like, an audience. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah, I, yeah I'm aware I have, an, <laughs> I have an audience, yes. So you're in a different position to someone who's like, I'm Right, but even start- so, despite that, there are like because there there were dozens of people before and during my time who also are still doing stuff and to a lot of people like yes we get it, it's it's have I talked to you about seed audiences did we talk about that last week mm, I don't think so I don't know what that is the concept of a seed audience is that they are they are your your early backers they're your they're your first people oh is this like early adopters like early adopters basically so Jellybean has a built-in audience. If we throw crap at that audience, it's oh, not yeah. going to take off. No, no, no. You still have to make good stuff. You still have to do it. But it's different if you have like a mailing list with like 4,000 people on it compared to if you have a mailing list with zero people on it. I did the Jelly Bean Shirts campaign a while back. Yeah. We sent our email out to 10,000 people. Yeah. We got like 50 backers or 100 backers. Like it, the 8,000 people didn't matter. Like literally didn't matter unless you're, produ- unless you're giving them something that they want. And so uh, John Green's book, The Fault in Our Stars, was the number one on New York Times bestselling list. Yeah. And it's... it's really? a, I haven't read wow. it. Yeah, I haven't read it, but apparently it's a very good book. Um, it's not my kind of thing. I saw the movie. I was like, eh, okay, I don't need to read the book. This is not for me. It's a young adult... Young adult book. Novel, And yeah. people are like, this is such a great book. That's why it took off. 
No, you can't underestimate the fact that you had a built-in audience. And yeah. You need a combination of those things to really take off. So, like, long-term, if you want to be if you want to be a megastar, you need to build that audience and then provide them with the best stuff. And the way to build the audience is to provide them with the best stuff, you know? Yeah, totally. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying the audience doesn't make it easier, but the audience is not... Is, is like is a, a small part it's, it's a necessary part of the puzzle but it is also a small part of the puzzle and the way to build the audience is to make great stuff <laughs> okay i want to wrap up two board game related threads that i opened uh one is that so right now i'm trying to finish off a lot of projects that i signed up to before having this revelation of like oh you need to be different and the best nowadays like to send out in board games it's that saturated and i i started some projects that i'm like they're good projects they're games i'm proud of but they're not radically different enough that they're going to stand out from the market sure i have a question yep yeah i want to know so the kickstarter shirts thing i mean the jelly beans shirts campaign that you did what do you think like now looking back on it what do you think happened okay so two big things i overestimated how much people would want cool board game shirts sure and i way underestimated how much it mattered to people that they chose the color of their shirt i didn't think that was a thing that people cared about because threadless doesn't really offer you color choices for a lot of their shirts yeah. But people really care about that. Post-campaign, we're letting people choose colors and people are going crazy for it. And I'm like, it never would have made 50K, but like it, w- it would have done better than the, the eight that it made. Sure. The other thing too is is I forgot how tactile shirts are. Like we are, our shirts are expensive because we are getting high quality shirts. People don't know that. Like they just have to trust the, the Kickstarter page. So when we start going to conventions, we're going to we're gonna print a bunch of them and take them there to sell. And I think once people touch them and see them in person, then they'll be like, oh, yes, this is what I want on my body, please. So what made you think that people would want those shirts? Because I wanted them, and that's been a really good barometer for me for most things. Not all things, but for yeah. most things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you were like, if I saw this campaign, I would buy this. Well, two things. Firstly, I thought if I saw this campaign, I would pick up a shirt because I think they're great. Secondly, there are a lot of people, and I, again, just way, way, I was so wrong on this front. I was just way off. Like, I was, I was due for a flop. This was a, hopefully a, a big flop. Uh, I would love it if the next few things didn't also flop. That would be bad. But I really saw that there were so many people who were like, ah, I'm sick of backing board games on Kickstarter and having them turn up and be crap, but people who still liked being involved in a Kickstarter campaign and liked board games. So my hope was that there were people who wanted to follow a Kickstarter, who loved board games, but who didn't want that risk of it's a bad game. That's an interesting target market. <laughs> because they're board game shirts. They're specifically board game t-shirts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I just, I just mean as in like, it could end up being a bunch of different things. People who want to back a Kickstarter, but don't want to invest in a board game that might be crap is an interesting market to go for. I thought that was a much bigger market share than it's it was. It's interesting because I, because I helped you on doing some of the graphics of the campaign, but we weren't talking that much while you were preparing for this campaign. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know about this. Like, I don't, I, like, I, I was like, I have no idea if this is going to work. It turns out a lot of people were like, I'm not sure about this. And it, uh, they didn't pass that on or, or they did pass it on. And I was like, well, I'm pretty sure about it. So let's go for it. I'm glad I did it. I learned a lot about press releases specifically. I learned a bunch about writing press releases from doing this campaign. I was like, this is absolutely way outside my understanding of target market. So I don't like t-shirts that have stuff on them <laughs> and I note my board game. So I was like, well, I don't understand. Oh, that's the other thing too. That there was quite a lot of print on the front. And when you normally print a board game shirt, that means it's really scratchy and horrible. We're doing like uh, water-based ink, which means it'll feel like the material the whole way through. Yeah. It's a touch thing. Like people yeah. had no way of knowing this thing that we had no way of conveying. Anyway, um, 
the second thing is that you're talking earlier about like people find different ways to escape and I was like yep that's familiar because when you and I were having our biggest struggles I'm a full-time game designer I learned a game design because when you and I were struggling I would just plug into the computer and design games yeah 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 Dracula's Feast was entirely designed while you and I were fighting and it was because you were complex and, and difficult and unsolvable and board games are made up of simple and solvable systems that I could play in basically it's this thing, that's what I'm saying. It's this thing of like something that makes sense, right? So like getting away from the very unnerving, no right answer, complicated place into, oh, here's a thing that has a right answer. Yay. Yep. 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 This week's outro is by Shelby. Cool. Thanks for listening to Being Honest with My Ex. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe on iTunes, leave a review, and tell all your friends that Peter is your favorite podcast to listen to. <laughs> We're renaming the podcast. It's just called Peter from now on. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Shelby, for that outro. You are delightful. Thanks, Shelby. Thank you, SJ, for co-hosting a podcast. Did you know, SJ? What? Did you know that we have a subreddit? Yeah, I did. Is it still just you and one other person? No, uh, I think there's three of us now. It's <laughs> it's a whole party. If you go to reddit.com slash r slash being honest with my ex, you can join this three-person party. And <laughs> we chat about the podcast. We also have a Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash being honest with my ex. And a Facebook page, which is the same thing without the word groups in there. And these are all great places where you can meet funky folk and talk about how good-looking I must be based on the sound of my voice. Oh, sure. Also, I sometimes post in, like, stuff that I think people would find interesting. SJ, I don't, I don't know if I was clear. I mean, that's the only thing you're allowed to talk about in these places. Oh, oh, yeah, how, yeah. what you look like. How good-looking I must be based on the sound of my voice, which is... See, I um, have an issue with that. Why, why would you, why would you talk about other things? so much of your face um, <laughs> that I can't... Every time I you close your eyes... I think I've been spoiled for this conversation. It's true. Uh, and if you want to help out the podcast, the best way you can do it is by going to the world and telling them about it. Oh, yeah. That is actually genuinely it. And we now have a page up at com slash new listeners, which is like a new listeners guide. Have you seen that yet? Yeah. I said it was great. Oh, yeah, you did. You liked it. Yeah. I like it. I think it's great. Go there and oh, send people there, I guess. Go there if you want. It's cool. And that is a good place for people who want to jump into the podcast but are like... 64 episodes. Like, I don't even know what the fuck we've talked about for half of them. <laughs> that is how I feel when people come up to me and are like, hi, I, um, I've i listened to all of the episodes and I'm like, you clearly know a lot more about me than I even know you know because <laughs> I don't remember what's in there. But hello, lovely to meet you. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll be like, did I talk about that with SJ in real life on the podcast? I just, I don't know anymore. It's all gone. <laughs> That's all from us. Catch up with us on all of those social media places and we will be in your beautiful ears next beautiful week. Bye, 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 bye. Bye.